Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here. You can probably tell we're real excited about salt and light, and we're really excited about what it means to be salt and light, and Love Medina's coming up next week, which we're really excited about. By the way, that video, if you didn't know who that guy was who was interrupting, uh, that was Jordan. He's, uh, he's relatively new on our team. We love that guy. Uh, Shia LaBeouf is not on our staff here, uh, so he was just photo and post in there. But uh, we are super excited about Love Medina. If you haven't signed up, I would encourage you to do that. It's going to be a great weekend out and uh, into our community. But uh, we are in week two of this series that we started last week. It's called Salt and Light. And what we're doing in this series, we're actually looking at actually a very, very famous passage of the Bible where we actually see Jesus Christ himself call his followers, he gives them the label of salt and light. He calls them the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that's a a pretty simple concept, but basically what we've been saying is this. We've been saying this is actually a really important and clarifying label that Jesus puts on followers of Jesus. And we said last week, you know, it's, it's interesting. We live in a time and place right now as a culture where there are a lot of different labels that are put on people who follow Jesus. And so we said some of those labels are good. We said most of them are bad. Uh, But there's a lot of different labels that the media puts on those who follow Jesus. There's a lot of labels that politicians put on those who follow Jesus. There's even a lot of different labels that religions and other people put on people who follow Jesus. And so we said the reason the series is so important, we believe, and hopefully is clarifying, is because we are looking at what did Jesus say? What was the label that Jesus put on his followers? What did Jesus want his followers to be known for and to be known as? And so our hope has been that this series would be very clarifying and really clarifying for everybody, whether you follow Jesus or whether you don't. And so if you're a person who's here today, maybe you're investigating Jesus, maybe you're investigating Christianity, kind of exploring your faith. Uh, Maybe you're watching us online right now and someone shared a link with you and you're just trying to figure out the whole Jesus thing. Even though this series is really about followers of Jesus, Jesus, I want you to know that this series is also for you. And my hope is that it's clarifying to you. Because in this series, like I said, we're not talking about what do politicians say about followers of Jesus. We're not talking about what does the media say about people who follow Jesus. We're not talking about even what does the church say about people who follow Jesus. We're we're taking it right from the horse's mouth. And we're saying, what did Jesus want his followers to be known for? And so my hope is that if you're someone investigating Christ, that this might declutter some of the confusion that can sometimes shroud this whole topic of being a follower of Jesus. And then, of course, for those of us who follow Christ, I think it's probably pretty clear that this is a very applicable sermon series for us. And really, it's forcing us to ask the question, what if we took Jesus's label seriously? Like, what if we actually decided to take the labels that Jesus Christ himself put on us and to strive to live into those labels uh, that he has put forth for us? And so that's what we're doing. And like we said, the labels that Jesus gave is he said, you are the salt of the earth for those who follow Jesus and you are the light of the world. And the place where you find this, the very famous passage, is actually in Matthew chapter five. And so I wanna invite you, if you would, why don't you get your Bibles open with me again? We're gonna go back to this incredible passage in Matthew five. And as you're finding that passage, which, by the way, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, page 785 in the Bibles that are under the chairs if you're, if you're in the room. And then if you don't own a Bible, you can have one of those. We'd love for you to take one home. We'd love for you to read that and make that a gift. So Matthew 5 is where we're going to go. And here's what we said. We said that this actually contains within it the most famous and the first recorded sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's a sermon that's sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard that before, but we said this is the first recorded and the most famous sermon that Jesus preached. And within this first sermon that Jesus preaches, we see within it the first label that Jesus gives those who follow him. And so let's take a look at it together. Matthew chapter five, starting off in verse 13. 
Jesus says, you are, to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot. He goes on, you are the light of the world. A town that's built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So there you have it. Very simply put, Jesus gives this label to those who follow him. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And so what we did in the series last week was we actually spent the whole time, if you were here with us, we spent the whole time talking about this first part. We said, what does it mean when Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth? And so we spent the whole week kind of picking that apart and making sense of what Jesus said. Well, this week, we're going to highlight the second part, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to be the light of the world. When Jesus says that, what does he mean? Now, of course, um, I'm sure you can imagine there's a lot to say about this idea of being the light of the world. There's a lot that has been said. There's been books, entire books that have been written on this topic. Uh, but for the sake of our time today, I actually just want to focus very simply on three aspects of what it means to be the salt of the earth, so, or to be the light of the world. So if we are to be the light of the world, if that's a label that Jesus gave us, what does it mean to live into that label? And what I want to show you is I think Jesus has at least three things in mind. I think he has at least three things. And it's these three things. I think that to be a light of the world, Jesus is going to tell us that a part of what that means is it means that we are to be a community of lights, and we're to be a community of lights that are on fire for God, that shine in the darkness. Okay, so I think when Jesus says we are the light of the world, and I want to show you this here in just a second, I think when Jesus says that in the context that we're about to read, part of what he means is this, that to be the light of the world, to live into this label, means that followers of Jesus need to be a community of lights. We need to be a community of lights that are each on fire for God, that shine in in the darkness. So let's just walk through each one of those and let me show you where, let me show you where I believe I'm getting this from, from what Jesus says. Okay, so first off, let's talk about a community of lights. If you glance down at verse 14, uh, you'll notice the first thing Jesus says very simply is he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And as simple as that might sound, and we might just read right past that, I actually want to make a very basic observation first. And I think it's actually an important observation, but it's a very basic observation. And I want you to notice uh, with me for a moment that the, the idea of light, the term light, is used in contrast to the world. Okay? He says, you are the light in contrast to the world. Now, the reason I think that's important is because you might remember when Jesus talked about salt, he contrasted that with the earth. So he says, you are the salt in contrast to the earth. Or in other words, you are, in salt, you are salt in relation to the earth, and therefore you are also light in relation to the world. Now, why is that important? Well, here's why I think that's important. Jesus doesn't just say, you're salt and you're light, and that's it. He says, no, you're salt in relation to something, and you're light in relation to something. And I think what he's getting at is this, is this is a very clarifying statement because it doesn't just tell us something about followers of Jesus, it also tells us something about the world. Last week, we talked about this. We said that salt, back in the first century, we said that was a preservative. It was used to preserve rotting and decaying meat. And so when Jesus says this, this, the, word, the earth needs salt, we said what that's telling us is not just something about followers of Jesus, it's also telling us something about the earth. And what's that telling us about the earth? It's telling us that it's decaying. It's telling us that the earth is subject to decay, that it is rotting. And in the same way that, that the earth needs salt, 
he says that the world needs light. And so by saying that, what is he saying about the world? What is he saying about the world? He's saying that the world is in darkness, that the world is in a place of darkness. I think this is a really important commentary that Jesus is giving us about the world that we live in. And what Jesus is saying is that the world that we live in is in a state, it exists in a state of darkness in and of itself. That's what he's talking about. Now, we talk about darkness, you know, whenever you talk about the idea of darkness, in the Bible, it usually means a couple different things. And, and usually what it means, darkness can be used in such a way that a lot of times what it means is it's talking about that which is evil or that which is morally corrupt or that which is vile. So for example, the Bible will talk about deeds of darkness. And when it talks about deeds of darkness, it's talking about kind of like morally vile things that people do, right? Deeds of darkness. So this is one of the ways that the Bible uses darkness. It talks about that which is evil, which by the way, is a way that we still use the word darkness sometimes in our society, right? Like if you think about even in Star Wars, right? What is the evil side called? Tell me. It's called the dark side, right? It's the dark side. Or I don't know if you guys have been following this whole thing with the pipeline hackers. I don't know if you guys have been following that whole story. Do you know what that group calls themselves? They call themselves the dark side. And there's, there's, this, there's, this, there's this like assumption when we talk about darkness, sometimes what we mean is we're talking about that which is morally corrupt or that which is evil. But there's another way in which the term darkness is used throughout the Bible, and that's used in the sense of ignorance or blindness, right? So ignorance or blindness, like this idea that you are, that you are in the dark, this idea that you, you can't make sense of what's around you and you're disoriented, right? And that's one of the ways that the Bible's also going to use this term darkness. It's one of the ways that it's also used. So, so when Jesus talks about this idea of being in darkness, I think he actually means both of these things. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a position where you have been immersed in utter darkness, in total darkness. Some of you maybe have found yourself in a situation like that before. Maybe you went cave splunking and then you got into a certain cave and they had you shut off all the lights. I know I've been in a situation like that before. If you've ever been in total darkness, one of the things you know is it, it's actually a very frightening experience, very frightening. And um, it can be incredibly disoriented. Uh, it doesn't take much time before you start to get confused. You, you lose your frame of reference. You don't know which way is which. You don't know which way up is down. And it can actually, if you're in darkness for too long, it can actually give you uh, a sense of vertigo. It can be a really, really damaging thing to a person to be in darkness for very long. And I think when Jesus says, when Jesus says that you are the light of the world, he's assuming that the world is in darkness. And I think part of what that means is, I think Jesus is saying that human existence, human existence that left to itself apart from God inevitably is going to spiral into greater and greater moral disorientation. That we are gonna become confused of what's good and what's evil and what's up and what's down and what's right and what's wrong. And I just tell you, um, I think that, I don't think you need to look very far to see this. Right? I think it's very clear, even when you look into the culture that we live in right now, that as we step away from God more and more as a society, that we're beginning to lose our sense of moral reference, our, our, our moral reference point. And what happens is, is all of a sudden we start to become disoriented. And now the things that God says are good and are helpful for us and are good for us and are fruitful for us, we would look at now and we'd say that those things are restraining and are restricting Right? And the things, that, the things that God would say are hurtful to us and are not helpful to us are things that we would look at and say, those things are liberating and freeing. What is that? What's happening? Well, that's a disorientation that happens because we live in darkness. Right? And Jesus is going to say that. He says, the world is a dark place. And there is a, there is a moral disorientation that's going to happen. And so because of that, the world needs light. 
What's interesting is Jesus is gonna say that followers of him, his followers are light, that we are a source of light in a dark world. So how do we do that then? How do we, how do we live as, for those of us who follow Christ, how do we live as light in a dark place? Well, I want you to notice what Jesus says next because this very next thing he says is so important, but I honestly think it is so often ignored or skipped right over. And so look what Jesus says. Check out the very next thing he says. He says, you are the light of the world. Now look at this. A town, he says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, this is really interesting. Um, some of you have different translations. The translation that I have on the screen right here is uh, the, it's the New International Version. It's, the, it's also the, the version that we have under the chairs. Um, but if you have a different version, some of you have the ESV. I actually like the way the ESV translates this better than the NIV. So here's what the ESV says. The ESV says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That's what the ESV says. Now, let me tell you why I like that a little bit better. So the Greek word that's used, uh, so the, the Bible, the, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And uh, the Greek word for town or city is actually the word polis. It's the word polis. It's actually where we get political from. That word uh, politics comes from polis. And everywhere else in the Bible, that word is translated city. And so I think, I think that's actually a better translation is city. But here's the other reason I like this translation better. The word set, I think, is actually a little closer than the word build. So the, the word that's used there in the Greek language for build or set, it means to, it means to place something strategically somewhere. That's what it means. It communicates intentionality. And so I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, two chapters before this, in Matthew chapter three, the Bible tells us that there was an ax, an ax that was set at the root of a tree. And if you think about that, I think that's clarifying. You don't randomly put an ax somewhere. You strategically aim an ax to accomplish something. And so when Jesus says, you are a, you're the light of the world and you are a city that is set, you are positioned, you are strategically placed. I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying that you are a strategically placed entity. That's what you are. That for those of us who follow Christ, that he would say, you are the light of the world and you are strategically placed. You are strategically placed. That the family that you live in, the family that you were born into or the family that you were adopted into, that that is not, that is not a coincidence. That is by design because you are set in that family. Some of you might be thinking, why was I born into this family with these crazy people? And I tell you, it wasn't an accident, right? You, are a, you, are, you were set, you were put there, you, were strategically, you are a strategically placed entity at your job that you're at right now. Maybe even the job that you hate, that you're desperately trying to get at, out of. The time that you're at that job, you are a strategically placed entity within there. God has put you in that situation at your university, at your school, on your campus. You are a strategically placed entity. And by the way, I think that's true. I think that's very true. But I think that you actually need to take it a step further. If we actually wanna be correct on Jesus's metaphor, if we wanna be in line with what he's saying, I think a better way to say it would be like this. Not simply that you are a strategically placed entity. I think a better way to put it would be like this. We, we, all of us who follow Jesus are a strategically placed entity. In fact, the word you that's used here, this is kind of interesting. You know, this word is actually plural. It's not singular. It's like saying y'all. And so Jesus is saying, y'all is the salt. I don't know how to say it. Y'all are, y'all is, y'all's. Y'all's the salt is what he's saying. But then I notice what he says right after that. Y'all's the salt, you're a city. 
You see that? See, sometimes I think when we first read this, we can think that Jesus is using two different metaphors, that he's saying, you're the light, and then he changes metaphors, and he says, and you're a city. But I want you to understand they're to be morphed together. You have to understand them together. And so what's Jesus saying? He's saying part of what it means to be the light is it means that you're part of a community, that you're part of a community of lights. What does he have in mind when, when he says this? And I'll tell you what he had in mind. I think for sure this is it. So back in the first century, cities, cities were always strategically built on, on hilltops. They were always strategically built on hilltops. There's reasons for that. One of the reasons was for, uh, for military protection. A city was much, easy, much more easily fortified and secured if it, was, if it sat on top of a hillside. But one of the other reasons was because when you put a city on top of a hill at nighttime, you know, when they had no electricity, that city could be seen for miles and miles and miles in the darkness. You could just see it forever. And I think this is part of what Jesus had in mind, that because of the many lights, because of the many lights that you're able to illuminate and you're able to stand out in the darkness. I actually thought this was pretty cool. I was talking to um, Pastor Kevin. Some of you have met him. Pastor Kevin's the newest addition to our team here at Grace. He's just awesome. And I was actually talking to him this past week and he, he, was, uh, he told me something I thought was really cool. He actually has been to Israel so I've actually never been there before, but Kevin was there. And he told me that he got a chance to go visit the Sea of Galilee. And if you guys know the sermon that we're reading in Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount, it would have been preached right there at the Sea of, of Galilee. In fact, I'll show you a picture of where it was preached. And Kevin told me something pretty cool. So he actually visited this. And he said when he was here, something clicked for him about this passage that, did, that, never, uh, that never clicked for him before. And that's this, that when Jesus was teaching most likely the, the uh, tour guides were telling him that Jesus would have been kind of at the bottom. And then all those who were listening would have been at the top of the hill. They would have kind of sat up. And so he would have kind of spoke up to the people. And so Kevin said that when he was here, it clicked for him that the analogy that Jesus was using would have fit the topography of the place where he taught. And so uh, at nighttime at the Sea of Galilee, if you're at the top and you look out, what you see is you see this dark body, this dark lake, this complete darkness. And on the other side, what you see invariably is you will see these cities, these cities of lights that are just illuminated. In fact, Kevin sent me this picture and I thought that's exactly it. This is actually a picture of the Sea of Galilee at night. And what do you see when you look across the Sea of Galilee at night? You see lights, you see a city on a hill that stands out in the midst of the darkness. So when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, you're a city on the hill, I think he's got a picture like this probably going through his mind when he says that. He's talking about a community of lights. See, I think once you begin to understand this, you, get to, you, you start to understand that when Jesus says this, he's talking about way more than just, you know, this little light of mine, you know, I'm gonna let it shine, you know, that whole thing. I don't know. Do you guys ever do this when he sang that song? Some of you guys, okay, I, I used to, I don't, I don't even know what this is. This isn't even sign language. I'm not even sure what this is. But I think it's, it's much more than just like you, little individual, our little lights out there and go shine. That's true. That's true. But it's more than that. I think what he's saying is, no, you're a city. You're a city. Part of what it means to be a light is it means that you need to be part of a contrast community, an alternative community, a city of light within a dark world. You need to be a city. You need to be a group of people who live out and embody the values of Jesus together within the dark world in which you live. And I'll put it another way. I think, I think this is a good way to put it. You can't be a city alone. 
You just can't. I, I think this, Jesus's metaphor, I think flies right in the face of, of the radical individualism that we see around us today. He's saying part of what it means to be the light of the world is it means that you need to be part of a community. You know, salt and light, uh, as much as they have in common, which they have, they have a lot in common, they actually are in some ways a little bit opposite. Last week we talked about it. We said salt, salt is the most powerful and the most effective if it's spread out, as we talked about. Light's a little bit different than that. I think we all know this. Light is more powerful when there's a community of lights that are together. They make a greater impact on the darkness together than they do on their own. And I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at here. And this, by the way, is why, I mean, just practically speaking, practically speaking, I think this is why part of what it means to live into the label of being the light of the world is that we have to be part of a community. We have to be connected to a community of lights. Uh, this is why here at Grace, you hear, practically speaking, you hear us always talking about things like life groups. And we're always saying things like, hey, if you're not in a life group, you should really get connected to a life group because you're getting less than half of what our church is all about. You're getting less than half of what it even means to be the light of the world if you're not connected into a Christian community. You know, if, you, if you're a person who attends here on the weekend and you listen to a message and you enjoy the music, but it doesn't go any further than that, you're actually not part of a city. You're just, you're just a visitor in the city. And Jesus has called us to be the light of the world. And so I think a big part of this is with that without community, we, cannot, we can't fully live into the label uh, as the light of the world, which actually leads me to the second part that I want to get into together. And that's this. We're a community of lights, but secondly, we are on fire for God. We are on fire for God. We're a community of lights together, together, but we're on fire for God individually, each and every single one of us. You know, I, I love what Jesus says next. So Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. You can't be hidden. But then he goes on to the next part and he says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Now, I think what Jesus is saying here is really, is, is really important because uh, a community of lights, as we all know, is comprised of a group of individual lights, a bunch of individual lights. Back in the first century, they didn't have electricity. So at nighttime, what was the community of lights comprised of? Well, the community of lights would have been comprised of a series of lamps. So again, Jesus is using a metaphor that these people would have been very aware of. Lamps back in this time were a very common household uh, kind of object that you would have. In fact, let me show you a picture of what Jesus most likely had in mind. Uh, this is an oil lamp. So this would be a very common household thing that you have. And at nighttime when it was dark, you would light your lamp. Now, here's why I think that this is such a helpful metaphor that Jesus is giving. I want you to notice what Jesus says. What he says is, he says, he says, you are the light of the world, but then he says, you know, collectively, you're the light of the world, but then individually, he says, you're a lamp. He says, you're a lamp. Now, here's why I think that's so important is because a lamp, and all of us know this, a lamp in and of itself is not a light. A lamp is not a light. A lamp is a carrier of the light. That's what it's designed to do. It's designed to carry the light. And let me just tell you, I think for those of us who follow Jesus, here's what's so important. It's not that you are the source of the light. It's not that we are the source of the light, but we are carriers of the light. See, the very same Jesus who said, you are the light of the world, is the very same Jesus who said in John 8, I am the light of the world. And I think that those two statements where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and then he says to his followers, you are the light of the world, I think they have to be taken together. I'll put it another way. Let me put it this way. For those of us who follow Christ, our light is a derived light. It's a derived light. We are not the source of the light. We are the carriers of the light. And so because of that, part of what it means to be the light of the world is it means that we need to be on fire 
by God. We need God's fire within us. Uh, let me see if I can illustrate it to you this way. So uh, I, this is actually an illustration I used several years ago, but it's, it's actually just stuck with me. It's been really helpful to me. So I thought maybe it'd be helpful to you too. But it's a pretty old metaphor. I actually used this about, uh, so this is when my oldest son was five years old. My oldest son is now 11. So it tells you how old the, the illustration is. But I remember one time my son came home. He, I don't know if he was at a birthday party or he was somewhere. And he came home and he was all fired up because he had this little action figure. And so he had gotten this little action figure and he wanted to show it to me. And so he came up, he's like, dad, he's like, check it out. I got this little action figure. And I, I looked at it, I was like, oh man, that's really cool. And as I looked at the little action figure, I noticed that he was, he was not just an action figure. He was a little glow up action figure. He glue in the dark, right? And so he, he looked kind of, he was like one of these little guys right here, one of those kind of things. And so I was like, oh dude, I was like, that's really cool. I told my son, I said, you know, he glows in the dark. And my son was like, really? I was like, yeah. And I gave him back and my son took him and he ran right into the bathroom and he shut the door because at our house, the bathroom is just the darkest room in the house. You know, there's no windows or anything. So he took it in and after a couple of seconds, he walked right back out and he goes, ah, he goes, it's broken. It's broken. I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's not glowing. And he goes, I think it needs batteries or something. And I was like, no, buddy, that's not how it works. I said, here, give it to me. So he gave me a little glow-in-the-dark guy, right? And you guys know how this works, right? So what did I do? I went and I walked over. Where did I go? To the light, right? Went over to turn on the lamp. And I took the little glow-in-the-dark guy. And I put him right by the light bulb and like a little rotisserie chicken, right? I just rotated him around for like a minute or something. And then after a minute of doing this, I gave him back to my son. I said, now you go back in the bathroom. And so he took him back in the bathroom, shut the door, and all I heard was, wow, right? And of course, that little dude, he lit that bathroom up, right? And I mean that in the best way possible, because there's, there's a few ways you can light a bathroom up. I'm not going to get into all that. But he, he illuminated that dark space, that little guy. And so, so listen, here's my point. I think as it relates to followers of Jesus, look, we're not the lights. We're not the light. We are not the source of the light. It's a derived light. Jesus is the light of the world, and it's only when we're in proximity to him, and it's only when we absorb his love and his grace and his light into our life that we can take that into the dark places and glow and illuminate the light of, of Jesus. Now, listen, I just tell you, practically speaking, very practically speaking, I think that part of how we live into the label of being the light of the world is that we need to be spending regular, prioritized time basking in the presence of Jesus Christ, basking in his presence. And we talk about this a lot here at the Medina East Campus. We talk about the importance of spending time, you know, maybe even every day spending time, just being in the presence of God, of reading his word, hearing from him, praying to him, speaking with him, being able to talk with him, being in his presence, absorbing his love, absorbing his grace, and listen, the reason we, we always talk about that, it's, it's not because we're trying to earn something from God. That's not why we do that. We're not talking about that so that you can be more religiously, you know, whatever than another person. We're not talking about checking off some kind of religious to-do list. That's not why we do that. The reason we do that is because we believe that our light is a derived light and that we need to be in the presence of God before we can take that light. We're not the source of light. And if, if I don't absorb in the light and love of Jesus Christ, that's why we gather like we do here. It's because we're trying to absorb from his word. We're supposed to take that in and then we take that light into the community in which we go. And in fact, can I give you a real practical challenge? This is just a super, super practical challenge. And I, I triple dog dare you to take it. And it's this. And if you don't do this already, here's my challenge. I challenge you if you're a follower of Christ, 
four times a week, three or four times a week. Do this, make your first cup of coffee with Jesus. Just make your first cup, before you turn on the news, before you open up social media, before you check your emails or whatever you do first thing in the morning, before you open up your news feed, go, go right to the source and spend time with him. Maybe go through a Bible reading plan or pray with him for 10, 20 minutes a day. I, I triple dog dare you to do that for three to four days a week. And I, I'm just telling you, if you do that for a 90-day stretch of time, if you do that for three months, I promise you, you're gonna be a different person. It will transform you and it will change you. And so I think it's important that we understand that the light that we have is a derived light. And so, so we are a community of lights. What does it mean to be the light of the world? It means we're a community of lights that are on fire for God. But there's one last critical aspect that we cannot ignore, and it's this. It's that we need to be shining in the darkness, that we are to be shining in the darkness. I want you to notice with me in verse 14, uh, at this passage, you're gonna notice there's a super common theme and as I read this, let me just see if you can pick it out. See if you can pick up on the theme here. All right, so he says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill, now look at this, cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to, now notice this, it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine in front of other people before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I think it's probably pretty clear when you read this that what's being communicated is that light, light does not exist for itself. There's a purpose to light. And the reason that light exists is because it's supposed to expose and it's supposed to illuminate the darkness. The reason you light a lamp is because it's dark, right? You don't light a lamp in the middle of the day. Why? Because you don't need it at that point. The light doesn't exist for itself. The light exists for the darkness. And I think that this is a very obvious but a very important point that Jesus is drawing out here. That light, that light, whenever it, it, it focuses on itself or it hides within itself or it isolates itself from the darkness or it runs from the darkness, it has lost its purpose. It has lost its purpose. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you maybe have heard of him. He was a uh, World War II German theologian, brilliant. And uh, he said it better than I ever could. Here's what he said about followers of Jesus. He said, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. And I think he's right on about that. I think he's right on. That, that when, we, when followers of Jesus decide to resist and decide to, 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 to try to you know, hide themselves from the darkness, that they have lost their calling to be the light of the world. I think it's part of what he's calling us into and so our hope is that we are to, to be a light that shines in the darkness. I think this is a very important indictment for us, for those of us who follow Christ. Listen, for those who follow Jesus, our faith, our faith should be a deeply personal thing. It should be, it should be deeply personal. But it was never intended to be private. Your faith was never intended to be private. It is to be lived out in front of other people because light exists for darkness. And that's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I think, I, think, I think according to Jesus, there's actually a couple ways that we do this. I think there's a couple of ways that we shine in the darkness. I think what we're gonna see is that uh, Jesus is gonna tell us that one of the ways we shine in the darkness is by the conduct of our life. And the other way that we shine in the darkness is through the content of our message. And that's actually exactly what Jesus says. Look what he says in verse 16. He talks about the conduct of our life. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, he says and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I want you to notice, do you notice that Jesus makes a direct connection 
between being the light of the world and your good deeds. He says those two things are directly connected to each other. So what does it mean to be the light of the world? Well, part of what it means is it means that we, we conduct our life a certain way, those of us who follow Christ. In other words, if, if we simply tell people what we believe, but we don't show them what we believe with our life, then that can be really confusing. Um, I love the way that uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. He's an incredible preacher and commentator. He wrote a book called Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, uh, whether we like it or not, our lives should always be, always be the first thing that speak. And if our lips speak more than our lives, it will avail very little. So often the tragedy has been that people proclaim the gospel in words, but their whole life and demeanor has been a denial of it. And I think that's a really powerful statement that he's saying there. You know, I think some of the, 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 the labels that we see that are put on Christians today, some of those hurtful labels, some of those really cringeworthy labels, I think some of those, quite honestly, are in large part because there has been a breakdown here. There's been a breakdown between the content and the conduct of our life. And, uh, and I think that's important. And you know, I think this is also what the Apostle Paul has in mind. In Ephesians 5, he says this. He says, you were once in darkness, but you are now, now light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in goodness and righteousness and truth. See, it's about conduct. He says, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds, conduct of the darkness, but rather, notice what he says, expose them. Now, this is a, I think this is a really important connection that Paul's making. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you live as light, when you conduct your life in a certain way, he says, it's going to have an effect. And the effect is that light's gonna do what light always does. And what does light always do? One thing light always does is this. It exposes the darkness. Light always exposes the darkness. Like, what does that look like? Well, I think think it looks like this. For those of us who follow Christ, when we decide that we are going to surrender our lives and try to live in alignment with Jesus, which, by the way, none of us do this perfectly. None of us do. But when we decide that we're going to strive after living our life for Christ, that just by living that way, just by living that way, without even saying anything, without even being a Jesus jerk, without even pointing the finger, without even posting stuff on social media, just by living that way, it is going to expose darkness. It will. So for example, you're a follower of Christ and you are striving to live a life that honors him. And so because of that, you want to be an honest person. Just by sheer nature that you are an honest person, Just by sheer nature, when you go into the workplace and you're an honest person, that will expose dishonesty in the company. It will expose dishonesty in the environment around you. You don't have to say anything. You just have to live a certain way and it's going to expose. It's going to have an exposing effect. Or how about this? Just by saying that you want to be someone who follows Christ and so because of that, you are determined to not engage in gossip. Like, I'm just not gonna do that. That doesn't please God. That's not what he wants for me. And, and just by doing that, you're not saying anything. You're not pointing the finger at other people. You're not accusing anyone. Just by doing that, you will expose gossip in your family and in your peer groups and in your workplace. You just will. Uh, just by saying, I wanna follow Jesus and I wanna adhere to his, his ideas and his, and, and his picture of sexuality, And so I'm not going to adopt the sexual practices of my university or at the party just by doing that. Not even by saying a word, you will expose promiscuity around you. Just by living a certain life, by living his light, you're gonna expose the darkness. And I think here's what all of us know, that when you do that, it's gonna have one of two effects, and it always does. And one is this. One is it will be resisted, and it will be resented, and it will be ridiculed. 
Or number two, it will be enticing and it will be intriguing and it will cause people to lean in. And it will always, listen, light always has a very polarizing effect when it comes into the darkness. Jesus said this. Look what Jesus says in John 3. He said, this is the verdict. Lights come into the world, but people love the darkness. They love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and they won't come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So Jesus says, you can expect this. You can expect this, that when light comes in the darkness, one of the things that's gonna happen is gonna be resisted, it's going to be resented. Some of you right now are experiencing this. Some of you have put a stake in the ground and you said, I wanna follow Jesus, and you're surprised because as you're following Jesus, you're experiencing resistance. And there's friends and there's family members and there's people at your work and they're looking at the way that you live and they resent it and they, will, they ridicule you. And I'm just telling you that that's to be expected. That's part of what, that's not, it's not like a weird thing is happening to you. It's actually a very normal thing. I think this is why Jesus, just a couple verses earlier said this. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's what he says. But it also, light is also gonna have another effect. To some, they're going to resent it. To some, they're going to resist it. But some are going to be intrigued. And some are going to be enticed. And they're going to be drawn in. And when they ask you, what is the reason for the way that you live? What is the reason for the hope that you have? This is where the second thing comes in. This is where content matters. This is where we have to get into the content of our message. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus says the goal is. I love this. Look with me here for just a moment at what he says in verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds. And what's the goal? What's the goal? Here's what he says, that they might glorify. They might glorify. Now, glorify is an interesting word. Let's just be honest. It's kind of a churchy word, the word glorify. But simply put, what it means to glorify something is it means to honor, it means to praise, and it means to celebrate something. That's what it means to glorify. Now notice what Jesus says. He says, you should live good lives that other people are gonna see you, that they might glorify. Now glorify what? Glorify and celebrate what? Notice what he says. That they might glorify you and say, wow, what a fantastic person you are. Is that what your translation says? Okay, mine doesn't either. I'm glad you're paying attention. Does it say this? That they might glorify your good deeds. And say, hot dang, that group of people, super nice. Is that what your, does your translation say that? Mine doesn't. Who, who are they supposed to glorify? That they might see your good deeds and glorify your father. Now, let me ask you a question. How in the world are they going to know about your father? Here's how. Tell them. You have to tell them. You have to tell them the content of See, see, one of the good works are very important. Good deeds are very important. But can I just say, one of the dangers with good deeds is if, if we don't point people to the source of them, what might happen is we might get credit for them. And the whole reason that Christians do good deeds is because the point is that we want to point to the source of light. See, one of the things that light does is it exposes darkness, but something else that light does is it illuminates the way. It shows people the source. It shows people, here's where you go to find light. Here's where you go to find, to find life. It's the source of light that's found in Jesus Christ himself. And I just tell you, practically speaking, one of the ways that I think followers of Jesus can live this out, one of the ways is this. You, know, you hear us talk about here at the Medina campus a lot, the idea of praying for your three. And if you've never heard of that, basically, this is something we talk about all the time, is that 
We want to be people who are praying on a regular basis for three people that we know in our lives who we desperately want to see, come to see know Jesus. I think that's a really good practice to get in is praying for your three and then looking for opportunities, not just to show good deeds, but to tell them about our Father, our Father in heaven. So I'll tell you too, this is actually the big heart behind Love Medina. And as we talk about Love Medina, we're saying we want to be a church that practices what it means to be salt and light. And I know that Love Medina is just an event. It's just a one-time event. But our hope is that maybe it can help instruct a mentality inside of us. And the reason we're doing this is, is not because we just want to be known as really good people in our community. That's not it. The reason that we're doing this is because we want to be a community of lights, community of lights, who are on fire for God, individually lit up because of his transforming work in our life. And we want to shine in the darkness around us. And our hope is not just that people would say, man, those are some really good people, that maybe we could build relationships. And maybe through those relationships, we could tell people about our Father who's in heaven. I'm asked the band to come up. And as they do, I'll just kind of close our time by saying this. If you're a person who's investigating Jesus here, if you're exploring Christianity, you know, there might be a lot of reasons why you're investigating Jesus. But I might guess that for some of you who are here or some of you who are watching right now, Maybe it's possible that right now in your life, you're in a dark place. Maybe you're in a dark spot. Maybe you're in a season of darkness. And I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that Jesus is the light of the world, that he is. And, and maybe you just need to open your heart to him and let him shine his light. He wants to expose darkness and he wants to show you the way to a relationship with your father. He's the light of the world and he loves you. And he loves you. What's keeping you from embracing him today? So maybe for you, you just need to put a stake in the ground. Say yes to Jesus. Say yes to the light. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, can I just end by encouraging you real quick? I just want to encourage you. You know, I know when we talk about this idea of, of a conduct of our life and the content of our message, sometimes it can make us feel like failures, you know? Because for some of us, we're like, man, my life is, I don't have my life together and I don't know the right thing to say to people. And I just want you to hear me. This is not about perfection, that's not what this is about. None of us are going to do this perfect. We're all going to mess this up because we're imperfect people. But here's the, the beautiful reality is that this is not about perfection. This is about direction. It's about direction. And I believe that as much as we're willing in our brokenness, because we're all jacked up broken people, but I believe as much as we're willing to make ourselves available to God, that he wants to use us, that he wants to make us the light of the world, that somehow through this broken community of people, he can bring glory to himself. Let's pray. But Jesus, I do want to say thank you that you are the light of the world that has come into the darkness. And you came into the darkness not just to show us the way, but you also came in the darkness to give us your light. And now, Father, you've commissioned us to go into a dark world and to be the light of the world. Yeah, God, that's a high calling. That's a high calling. We need your help for that, for sure. We definitely can't do that on our own. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to find strength in each other as a community of lights. Help us not to shine by ourselves. That's a, an exhausting way and a quick way to burn out. But, Father, when we're together, uh, we, can, we can stay on fire for you. And, Lord, I pray you'd help us to be people who bask in your presence. Help us to be people who don't try to run out and be the light on our own because we can't. Our light's a derived light. And so we have to uh, be ignited by you. And Father, I pray you'd help us to shine in the darkness, whatever that might look like, that it might make a difference in the community and in our families and in our job places and the world that we live in. And that as a result of it, that people might glorify you. They might think you're awesome. That's our, 
That's our highest goal, is we just want, we want you to be made awesome because you are. And so we just want to pray these things and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.